How many people have ever, it, it, this is their first time ever seeing a Christian baptism the way we did it today? Anybody here is their first time? Cool. I never get tired of baptisms. I think I've baptized people in, I was just thinking, uh, swimming pools, uh, lakes, rivers, Pacific Ocean, never done the Atlantic yet. I'm not sure about the Arctic, but a um, uh, horse trough once. Uh, anywhere we can get a body of water to get all wet. There's something so beautiful about the imagery. And by the way, and I've told uh, this to Rebecca and Tabitha, baptism is not the finish line. It doesn't mean you've arrived. It means you're starting. It's the start line to follow Jesus, right? And maybe some of us can think back on our baptism and think, okay, this is the starting point where I went public and followed Jesus and renounced the devil and joined God's family. It's a beautiful thing, and uh, I just hope you're encouraged by that. I know we had a tremendous cloud of witnesses around the pool, and uh, we really wanted kids to witness firsthand. And parents, God bless you. There'll be lots of good questions over lunch today, and just have fun with that. Read the Bible, and uh, you'll be able to figure that out. Now, I guess I was going to say on with the show. Not exactly that. Um, this morning, I want to talk about uh, the next passage in the book of Ephesians we're going to look at. We're slightly out of sync, but there's a good reason for it, and you probably, if I hadn't told you, you probably wouldn't have noticed. But we're going to look at, uh, at a very important passage today, and I have entitled it The Big Reveal. How many people here, okay, this is, this is come to Jesus' time. This is a guilty confession time. How many people here have ever watched a reality show on TV? Okay. If you haven't, you've got so many more brain cells than the rest of us. But typically, what happens uh, on a so-called reality show, they're actually not reality at all, but they just call it that way because it's inexpensive programming. Uh, by the networks. Sorry to disillusion you. The reality shows really aren't real. But what happens in a reality show? Say if there's a someone gets a fashion makeover, or someone gets their house part of their house renovated or totally renovated. They have at the end of the show. There's all this tension. Are they going to make the deadline? Do I like this dress? Does this dress make me look larger? You know, all these things, all this tension. They try to build up this fake tension to keep you watching. For the last few minutes of the show, and what do they call it? The big reveal! Ta-da! Someone comes strutting in and they go, a new wardrobe. Or someone goes running into their house and say, a new toilet. And typically, typically, what do people say? OMG, right? Now, part of you didn't want to say it, but you know what I'm talking about. They say, oh my God. Which to me is really, I didn't know this was a religious show. I thought it was just about wardrobes and toilets. I didn't know it was such a spiritual component to it. And people just say that because that's kind of what they're prompted and expected to say. And they, depending on the personality, they hop up and down or smile and nod. I remember one pastor's kitchen was plastered with wine labels. And he was just appalled. And it should, the end of the show showed him and his wife taking the wine labels off the wall. That's another story. Anyway, you're supposed to say, oh, 
be overwhelmed. I'm hoping at some point in the sermon, you will say, oh my God, but in a very reverential way. Oh my God. Because it is so amazing, I think, what God wants to reveal, what God is revealing to us in this book of Ephesians that we've been going through. I've got a pop quiz for you. What are the most important things about church? What are the most important things about church? Give me some answers. Part fellowship, yeah, okay. Hanging out with people. We're going to do that. We are going to do church in uh, approximately an hour in the NPR. We're going to eat together. That's that's another facet of church. Okay, fellowship's important. What what else is important about church? Worship. Worship. Hey, we've been doing that all day. We're going to continue to do that. Okay, great. By the way, worship isn't just singing, but that's fascinating sermon series that's going to come in the future, okay? What else? Fellowship, worship? Learning. Pardon? Learning. Learning. Sorry, I'm a slow learner. I didn't hear you. <laughs> You're right. Learning, okay? Learning. Learning together. Learning in community, right? Trying to figure out how does this Jesus thing work, not just on Sunday morning, but more importantly, Monday to Saturday, right? Especially Monday morning and Saturday night. Key times to be learning what it means to follow Jesus. Anything else? The message. The message. Thank you. I feel strangely firm by that. Thank you. I hope it's good today. Yeah. What's the most important? Yeah, Jason? Uh, peace with God. Yeah. A, pe a place to find peace with God. Thanks. Anything else? Yes. Faith? Yeah. I'm sorry? Yes. All these things are really important about church. Now, I'm really relieved that no one has mentioned shorter sermons. Very encouraged by that. Um, and no one mentioned chili lunch, although that's pretty significant today. But it would be interesting to see in the New Testament just how, many, how often some of these times are mentioned Fellowship. Remember, if I, I got these stats from a friend of mine who's a professor at Wycliffe College, so I haven't had a chance to check these out. But fellowship is mentioned seven times. Ministry, 22 times. Praying, prayer, 25 times. Forgiveness, 36. Money, 37. Worship, 53. Preach, 56. Church, 76. Gospel, 100. There must be something to this gospel thing. It must be pretty important. And that's what we're about for these several weeks as we go through the book of Ephesians. We're trying to look at how do we develop a gospel culture here at Elam where we live and breathe this stuff. Not just think about it theoretically. In the last fall we talked, we went through the gospel of John and tried to unpack a little bit of what it means to follow Jesus. Now we're trying to look at what does it mean for us to be gospel people, good news people, right? So what is the gospel? Let me give you this definition again from my friend John, who's a professor at Wycliffe College. He says, the gospel is the good news that through Jesus Christ, God is at work to redeem, reconcile, restore, and renew the cosmos. It's not just about me and Jesus. 
That's an important part of the gospel, that we can know forgiveness, that we can um, be transformed by Jesus' love for us. That's really important, and that's where we start to work on our own stuff and work that up. But God's picture is much bigger than that. North American Christianity has a tendency, an error, even a heresy, in making the gospel very individualistic. It's just about me and Jesus, Jesus and me. And there's something to that Jesus and me thing, but it's so much bigger than that. It's meant to be Jesus and us lived out together in a community that goes beyond to start transforming the broader society. Jesus said we're salt and light. That's, that's what he describes us as, salt and light. But if the salt loses its ability, if it gets all corroded and stuff and worthless, it just has to be thrown out, right? And I don't know about you, I like, okay, who put a little bit of salt in their chili? Okay, thank you very much. Appreciate that. A little bit of salt. Now, do you put it all in one lump? Yikes. You know what happens when you do that old trick. Now, now you're not juvenile to ever have done this, but I've heard of people who do that prank in the, in the school cafeteria where you loosen the salt shaker and just enough so that you get a big pile of salt on your french fries or something. No one here would ever think of having done that. I see your guilty smile. Anyway, you know what happens when you get all that lump of salt in one place, it's like, can't eat that stuff, right? So salt is meant to be distributed, spread out. Salt is a preservative, right? It stops meat from rotting. The salt of Christians, everyday Christians, is meant to stop our society from rotting and decaying. We're described as light as well, right? You walk into a totally pitch black room, it's so disorienting, you're bound to hit some body part in something and, and you know, say words you regret instantly. It's just not a good thing. But a little bit of light. All you need is a little bit of light and you can find your way in the darkness. Healthy Christians and a healthy Christian community is a source of light in a very, very dark, pitch black world. People are absolutely lost in life. They don't want to admit it, but they're totally in the dark about what's important. And Christians are called to be light. So the gospel is this good news that through Jesus, God is at work to redeem, to buy us out of slavery, to reconcile, make peace with us, restore, put us back together, put back the messed up people that we are, and renew the cosmos. He's going to make everything new. When I say cosmos, I'm talking about everything that God made. Everything. Okay? Wow. That's a big deal. It's a lot more than just me and Jesus, isn't it? I mean, it's so exciting, we really should kind of light it up. I hope that, I hope the definition, this definition of the gospel lights you up inside too, because it's more, so much more, about just us. All right, let's quickly go through the uh, passage this morning. And uh, I just want to highlight some things, and we're going to go right at the big reveal. So Paul is thinking about this. He's just told, remember last week? Was it last week? We talked about insiders and outsiders. It's a test. Some of you remember last week. 
And we talked about the barrier that was up between Jews and Gentiles, this tremendous social, ethnic barrier that was just filled with hatred. And God says, that is demolished. So that while we celebrate our differences in our cultures, wherever we grew up, we don't allow those cultures to become barriers to each other. In fact, God loves variety, and he invites all people into his family. And that's really something to celebrate. So Paul, talking to a Gentile audience, says, guess what, you guys are included and adopted into God's family, and that is brilliant news. I'm going to take this up in the beginning. God gave me the special responsibility of extending His grace to you Gentiles. As I previously wrote earlier, God Himself revealed His mysterious plan to me. Now when we talk about this mysterious plan, it's more like the big reveal. It's not an Agatha Christie, Grisham, thriller, whodunit kind of thing. The idea of this mysterious plan would be like something that's hidden. Something that's covered under wraps until, ta-da, it's time for the big reveal. Okay? It's that kind of uh, sense of a mystery. As you read what I've written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but now, by His Spirit, He has revealed it to His holy apostles and prophets. So, all through history up to that point, God had been working on developing a special relationship with this unlikely, I'm choosing my adjectives carefully, this unlikely group of people called the Jews. He'd been teaching them about himself, giving them commandments, telling them how to live, how to live in a relationship with him, what a healthy society looks like, giving them all kinds of helpful guidelines, public health, family relationships, um, court stuff, legal issues, how to resolve conflict, all these things. He'd been trying to reveal his heart and saying, this is why I created you in the first place. This is how you can live in shalom, my peace and well-being. This is how you can live life the way you're supposed to. How did that go? Not so great. And God knew it was going to happen because human beings, we cannot follow God on our own efforts. We cannot be made right with God just by following rules. All that does is frustrate us and show us our greater need for God, our greater need for God to change us from the inside. But now, Paul says, now, by the Holy Spirit, with the coming of Jesus, His birth, death, and resurrection, now we have a way into God's family directly. And now God will be living in us to change us for the better. And here's God's plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Remember? The Jews literally had a part of the sec uh, section of the temple where they would worship, saying, okay, Gentiles, keep out. Nobody, you know, entrance restricted beyond this point. You're not allowed in. Wow. Can you imagine having a church where we say, well, you're welcome to come in, but please sit in the back row. How would you feel if you were a back row person? Now I confess that some of this, and this is universal through all denominations, some of this just make a beeline for the back row anyway. I'm one of those people. But can you imagine like being purposely excluded? That's really, really ugly. Um, there was a church where I used to live in Ontario that when they had the Lord's Supper, everybody who was kind of an insider would, would have communion. 
but anybody else had to sit at the back. Really welcoming atmosphere. There's a real two-tier system there. Well, Paul says there's no two-tier system in God's family. If you follow Jesus, you are in. I don't care where you've come from, what your background is. It does not matter. And I cannot repeat this enough. This is so exciting, so liberating, because God really doesn't care about your past. He does not care about how messed up you are. He doesn't even care about how messed up, how messed up I am, which is staggering. They're thinking, Rick, what gives you the right to preach? Well, he told me to do it, so I'm saying it. And maybe I'm hoping in saying that, it will help encourage some of you folks to say, hey, we're all messed up, we're all this in this together, we need Jesus desperately. And that's the good news of the gospel. And now, so now the Jews and Gentiles are part of the same body, and both enjoy the promise of blessings, because, why? Because they kept a list of rules? Because they were church memberships? Maybe they were charter members of a church, or maybe they tithed, or maybe they served in the church on a committee. Maybe they were an elder. Maybe they were part of the choir. No, oh, we enjoyed the bless, the promise of blessings because they belonged to Christ Jesus. That's what qualifies us. We belong to Jesus. All of us, at some point, said, "Okay, Jesus, I renounce the devil, and I'm going to follow you no matter what." I will die to myself, I will follow you. And that's what qualifies us to belong to Jesus. So, Paul says, now by God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news. Now Paul, amazing man though he is, was, says, I am the least deserving of all God's people, but he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. He just goes on and on. This, this man is just raving on paper, so to speak, as he's dictating this letter. I think he's just, he's just having this tremendous vision of God's love for him and grace, and he's constantly overwhelmed that God would actually want him, Paul, a rebellious sinner in his family. He's just been overwhelmed by this. Paul says, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. Why did God keep it a secret? He was working and working and working his plan. Sometimes it seems like nothing is happening with God, but working and working and working, all of a sudden, boom, up pops a shoot. It's kind of like if you're gardeners here. Gardeners, i got good news for you. Spring is coming. Has anybody started growing seeds yet? Anybody? Any in the window or anything like that? When, when's a good time to start doing that? March? Okay, March, you're on. I'll check back with you in March, okay? Gardeners, in March, in faith, especially in Manitoba, start planting seeds, right? Now, for a long time, you don't see anything going on. You think, what the dickens is going on? It's just a thing of dirt. And all of a sudden, you come on one day, it's like, oh, there's something green there. It's gonna turn into something good. Especially something I can eat. That gets me excited. And there's that hope there. There's that potential. So God had been at work all through history. Human history. And it looked like nothing had happened. But stuff was germinating and growing. And then boom. All of a sudden up pops the kingdom of God. Jesus in the flesh come to tell us 
how to have a relationship with the Father and how to be adopted into his family. So that this mysterious plan, the big reveal, um, had been kept secret, but all of a sudden now it was out of plain sight. But you know how God's kingdom works, right? It's not coercive. You don't arm twist people into God's family. You don't grab them by the throat and stick a sword in their eye and say, all right, convert or die. I mean, that's been tried through church history and it's not really effective and it's totally ungodly, okay? Some of our conversion methods are, have been awful in history. But when we invite, like Paul is saying, he, he just, we've been graciously given this privilege of inviting people into God's family. And that's why he's so excited about the gospel because it's free, it's for everybody, it's a beautiful thing. God's purpose in all this, God's purpose in the gospel was this. Here's the big reveal. To use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's take a step back and think about some Christian cosmology. Cosmology is how the universe got started. The Creator made everything, right? Sound good? Okay, good. We're not here by blind chance. Now, whether it took a really long time, a relatively short time, that's an interesting discussion. We don't have time for it today. Bottom line is, the Creator made everything, okay? We're not here as a result of blind chance. And why did He make us? Because He was bored? Because he needed a, you know, a science fair project or something like that. What? God made us just out of love. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need anything from us. But he made us just out of his love, which is kind of mind-boggling. But that's we're just created out of that. And whether we love him or not, sure, that disappoints him. But it doesn't stop the fact that he's God and full of love. If we refuse to love God. It just, re it just has really bad consequences for us. It doesn't stop God from being God at all. Humankind refused a relationship with God and stepped away. Said, no thanks. My do it myself. That was my daughter's favorite phrase when she was two years old. You try to help her with something and she says, my do it myself. Kind of cute when you're two years old. Really frustrating after you spend 20 minutes trying to get her ready for bed. Man's rebellion against God was basically saying to God, My do it myself. Childish, foolish, not cute, very destructive. So, God chooses a man, Abram, who became Abraham, and say, Okay, Abraham, I'm going to bless you. Out of you, I'm going to create a chosen people. The whole world, all of humankind, is going to be blessed through you. And just follow me, right? Follow my instructions. So Abraham did. And so the, the nation of Israel was established. But again, according to God's plan, I think he knew this was going to happen, but things didn't work out so well. But into that family, into that nation of Israel, was born Jesus. And through his birth, death, and resurrection, we now have a relationship with God possible. At the end of all things, this is chapter 6 if you're keeping count. At the end of all things, God is going to wrap things up and everything will be united in Jesus. He will restore the cosmos. But right now, in act number 5, right now, 
we have this opportunity as God's family, as God's kingdom on earth, to partner with Him in reconciling the entire world, the entire universe to Him. That's the big deal. So church is not just about fellowship or learning or worship. Those are all good things. Church is not just about, please, Lord, shorter sermons or chilly lunch. Those are good things too. Being a part of God's family, church is really about being part of God's family and God's greater plan for the cosmos, God's greater plan for the world, redeeming and restoring it and helping God put it back together again the way it should have been in the first place. The church is also God's demonstration to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places that he's going to succeed. Now this is really cool and really mind-boggling. Many of us come from cultures that believe in an unseen spiritual reality. Okay? Spirits of some kind or another. Good, bad, whatever. Some of us who've grown up in North America have grown up with that kind of ah, skepticism about oh, demons and all that stuff. That's just superstition. But there's been a resurgence of interest in the spiritual world. And many people would say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Whatever that means. In the Canadian society, you look at the smorgasbord as spiritual options, and you pick and put different stuff on your plate, and somehow you become a spiritual person. Now, I'm not trying to be sarcastic about that. That's just kind of our reality, right? God's plan for the church is not just that we become a loving family, a community of faith that changes the world. God's plan for the church is to demonstrate to all these unseen spirits that you can't see, good and evil, to say, Ha! Look! We win. I win. God's wisdom in all its rich variety, the, the word in Greek has been translated, I think in the King James it was like his manifold wisdom. What does that mean? It's like multicolored, multifaceted, just beautiful. Like when you hold up a, a jewel that's been really cut very carefully by the jeweler and you rotate it and you see all these amazing shafts of light. Has anybody driven down the Provence Bridge and seen the, the light show, the ice thing down there? It's beautiful. You should go see it before all the ice melts. That's kind of like God's wisdom. It, it's beautiful, like a really gorgeous stained glass window or something. It's this, this wisdom of God isn't just, ha, God wins. But it's, it's absolutely spectacular. It will take your breath away when you think of it. The way God's grace changes people. The, the way God's grace recruits and invites and um, welcomes unlikely people from such diverse backgrounds into one body. It just can't be explained on human terms. I can describe grace to you. I can tell you stories about it. And maybe the Holy Spirit will tweak something in you. But it's too amazing to describe. I really hope that gives you some amazing perspective on why God calls us all together. 
It's not just about punching the clock on Sunday morning and showing up and following a routine. Now, it's a good habit to go to church. There are a lot worse habits, okay? But I hope when you come, you come with a sense of what well, my friend Jean Charest, not the politician Jean Charest, but I worked with another Jean Charest years ago. Jean was a, was a Quebecer, and um, I loved his passion for God. His Bible, I've never seen a Bible so marked up before. And when Jean, Jean prayed, he, you felt like God was right there in the room. But Jean always prayed with a sense of expectancy. He, he totally messed up that word for me the rest of my life. But it's beautiful. Because when I think, I don't want to pray with a, uh, with a sense of expectancy. I want to pray with a sense of expectancy. Because when I think of expectancy, I think of my friend Jean who prayed and said, God is going to reveal himself again. We just need to go and ask him as his children, as his well-loved, dearly loved children, to pray with a sense of expectancy. As we think about the big reveal, why God has really called us here, he wants us to reveal this many splendored, beautiful wisdom of the gospel. How he invites unlikely rebels into his family and adopts them and loves them. And doesn't just leave them there, he starts transforming them from the inside out, individually and as a community, into something really beautiful that he's going to use to change the cosmos. That is amazing. And then finally, Paul says, you know, because of our faith, because of Jesus and our, we believe in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So don't lose heart because of my trials. Remember, he's writing this from jail. He's on death row. Don't worry about that. It's all good. God is in control. But the important thing is we can boldly and confidently come into God's presence. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that through Jesus Christ, God is at work to redeem, reconcile, restore, and renew the cosmos. I hope that gives you a different perspective on being part of God's family, the church. That's the big reveal. There's a story about um, St. Paul's Cathedral in being built in London, magnificent building. And someone asked three workmen about this beautiful building. It was designed by Sir Christopher Wren, one of the most famous architects in, in British history. The first man was asked, so what are you doing? I'm chipping the corner off this block. Okay, right? That's pretty obvious. He asked another man who's doing the same task, what are you doing? Well, I'm working. Got to provide for the wife and family. This is what I do. Okay. Legit answer. The interviewer asks a third man, who's doing the exact same task, what are you doing there? Ha! I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral. Do you get it? It's all a matter of perspective. Friends, we have this beautiful thing, the gospel, that is absolutely transformative. That's what we share in. That's what we live out. That's the big reveal. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the good news about Jesus. 
Thank you that you are at work to redeem, reconcile, restore, and renew the cosmos. We want to be a part of that. Father, I pray that you would bless Rebecca and Tabitha as they start their journey to Jesus. Help us to walk with them, to walk together, and to be the kind of community that you can delight in and be proud of. We would love it if you could show us off to all the unseen powers and principalities and say, hey, look, my gospel is transforming Elam Chapel in the heart of the city, in the heart of the country. That would be a beautiful thing. So please bless us as we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.